say the least. You, you mean so? Let's put it this way. Um, our you know, let's let's, let's just put it out on the table, Henry. Uh-huh. Uh, you know what I mean? How do you? If we're talking a lot, a lot about communism and, and capitalism. Mm-hmm. Um, me, I'm a Bernie bro. You know what yeah, I mean Henry. Yeah. What what are you? I'm a, I'm a Bernie bro. So well. yeah, a, you know, I'm we a, come from a. Uh, uh, intellectual history of social media. That's where I come yep. from. Yep. Whatever the Instagram Strong, hashtag is. Yep. What I, that's, that's all I that's need. That's where to know. I get my news, yeah, man. Yeah, man. That's all I need to know. Mm-hmm. But you know, we're gonna we're gonna dive deep in the past. We're gonna dive deep into the Cold War uh, for right. this season. And uh, who are we who are we taking on first? Looking here? at the first one is yeah. Fidel Castro. Oh and, uh, man, I can what a already, guy. I can already feel. Uh, my like communist friends being like, "Yo, you butchered a man." I can already yeah, feel them. Yep. I can already oh, feel yeah. them. The, like, the, the hate is coming, the, yeah. and that's fine. That's cool. I'll take it. I'll just be like, "Read what I read, and then we can talk." All right, and then we can talk. Okay. All right. So, so Fidel Alejandro Castro Ruz was born on Ruiz. August. Okay. Ruz. No, Ruz. 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 I think it's Ruz. It's Ruz. There wasn't no I. I there don't was think. no oh, just uh-huh. no. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. well, I think it's Ruiz, but I think that's okay. Fine. You're so, entitled to your truth. Yeah. That's fine. <laughs> so on August 13th, 1926, that is when he's born in Biran, which is eastern Cuba, kind of like north of Santiago de Cuba. Yeah. And he was born to a pretty wealthy family. His father, Angel Castro, was a Galician immigrant who, strangely enough, looks exactly like pa- Patrick Stewart. Like if you Google like and and Angel Castro, it's uncanny how similar they look. That's weird. And man. he was like a very very prominent landholder. He he was the owner of a latifundio, and the only other major landholder, or one of the only other major landholders in the area, was United Fruit. Okay. So he had money and he had like ranges, and he he wasn't really uh, you know, he he was he was pretty well off. I don't want to say that he didn't struggle because he did, but also you know, yeah, no, he like, wasn't struggling as much as as yeah, some of these other guys. Yeah, I mean, like, and uh, just United Fruit. Uh-huh. Um, people say, "Oh man, it's just an orange. Nobody's ever been killed over it." <laughs> oh no, 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 <laughs> like, no, no, no! I wonder if if that batch of bananas that you just yeah. bought from the grocery store could tell you their story. Or so much blood is on your bananas. You're on your the hands of your bananas, it's fucking rough, oh, man. You smoothie it's king bitches out there, that's men and women. You both are bitches. <laughs> People you, paid for your smoothie with, with their lives. Yeah, with God their lives. They were ripped out of the dead hands of of indigenous peoples all across yep. Central America. <laughs> it's wild. <laughs> Smoothie King is built on an empire of blood. Yeah. All right. Really? It's, it's bad. <laughs> so um, he grows up 1932 to 1944. He went to school in Santiago de Cuba and then Havana. And like just that span of time, a lot of crazy shit went down just mm-hmm. to show you like what he like what the headlines were when he was growing up. So the Cuban government is in tor- turmoil. There's a coup against Gerardo Machada by the Sergeant's Uprising. And one of the prominent leaders of the Sergeant's Uprising was this guy, Fulgencio Batista. And we'll come back to him. There's the Spanish Civil War going on in Europe. Then the outbreak of World War II more broadly. And so just to, goes to show you that he is just immersed in a changing world. And just absorbing all this stuff as like a young young kid. Although he might not be able to fully understand it at this point. And then, and then one, one like... Uh fact we'd like to drop about the place he comes from um the eastern the eastern part of cuba is different from the western in havana you know west you have havana is what we know 
as you know with the old cars and like the pretty architecture yep. where yep. like white women from your high school Havana go, you know, nah. go and take pictures in front of Half old of cars and stuff it's it nice. Havana, uh, nah, nah. Yep. but the the eastern part is where i feel like cuba draws a lot of its wealth from those are where the plantations were there's mm-hmm. a, the you know also um it's the place that's all since there are a lot of plantations a lot of a lot of uh afro-cubanos um yeah. Uh, the Santiago, the place that uh, Fidel yeah. is from, um, has a large population that does practice like Afro-Cubano religions. Um, it's also a place where Haitian yeah. immigrants uh, yeah. and Dominican immigrants like to come and settle. Like, came and settle. Um, yeah. In one book I read, read about Haiti, um, <laughs> this is just to kind of state how it was for black people there <laughs> uh, in Cuba um, at this time, uh, Haitian immigrants used to come from Haiti. Mm-hmm. And go to Cuba, and mm-hmm. they would send letters back like "nigga, don't come here." And they then they were from Haiti, <laughs> so understand that. Stay where you are. It's not any not any better over here. Stay over in Haiti. Yeah. <laughs> you're good where you're at. All right. You say the grass is always greener. It's uh, it's not a Cuba. There. Not, <laughs> not a Cuba. Cuba. No. Come to think of it. So as when he was in school, he excelled at sports and literature. It, there's rumors that he had a photographic memory. That might be propaganda. Who the fuck knows, right? So he graduates in June of 1945 as World War II is coming to a close. And so on September 4th of 45, this is when he enters the University of Havana and he starts taking classes in law and social sciences. Mm. Now from his autobiography... He's going to be broke. He's going to be broke. Oh, for Law sure. and yeah. social Li- sciences. Liber- liberal arts, what are you doing? <laughs> Come on, big dog. Here? Come on, man. Come on, you, you, want, you want to report, record a podcast with one mm-hmm. of your white friends? Is that what you want to do? <laughs> that's, that's where you can end up, man. So from his autobiography, and this is probably, I think that this is just him like flexing, flexing those Marx, Marxist creds after it's all happened. Yeah. But he was one of those guys like ditching class and like forming a circle near a public fountain and just talking about communism, you know, spreading yeah. the good word, maybe smoking a little bit of weed and just letting you know about here's why we need to seize the means of production from the bourgeoisie guys there can be a better world we just have we just can't be afraid to build it you it's, know it's, and it's, i hate it, that guy it's okay well i mean look man that guy had good weed and maybe you just didn't like uh, the party and that's maybe. that's that's all no, you I, brother. I, I, that, <laughs> my party days i i, I, I like party okay I'm about, I'm about party. <laughs> said said like a man who's never party <laughs> Another thing he does at college is he starts to get involved in student government, and so he gets practice kind of speaking in public and, you know, politicking and all that stuff. And on a couple of student trips, he gets to travel abroad. And so in 1947 and 48, he's in the Dominican Republic. He's protesting against the, like, the Western-sponsored dictator Rafael Trujillo. Oh, and then he's in Bogota, Colombia, and yeah. he like right when he gets there, I think in like April of '48, he takes parts in the protests against the assassination of Jorge El- Elisier, Eliezer, Eliezer Gaitan, if which is the Bogotazo uprisings. If you're gonna talk out. talk about Rafael Trujillo, uh, the dictator of uh, the Dominican Republic, uh, mm-hmm. everybody thinks you go to Putucan, you go to Putucan, or you like uh, you get you drink a lot, you get cheap prostitutes, you get like a uh, some type yeah. of surgery. That's what they think Dominican Republic is. There is a there is a there is a a massacre and a genocide <laughs> of Haitians that no one talks about in the late forties. And <laughs> Dominican they Republic died. Had, they died for your illegal plastic surgery. There's a Mark. weird history, 
and yep. that's that's for another podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 bad. Um, but also, like he was propped up, I think, by United Fruit as well, and so they're kind of like this ever-present octopus throughout Latin America at this time in like the 40s and 50s, and I think back in the 30s. Oh, too. you like peaches? Yeah. Yeah, the blood of children is on your the peaches. The blood of children. <laughs> yeah, blood of children is on your peaches. Sorry. <laughs> as long as you know, you know. So in June of 1950, Castro finally graduates law school and gets his degree. And then at this time, there's a split in the Cuban government between these two parties. There's the Autenticos, which is like corporatists. They're all about strengthening cooperation between labor unions and corporations. And this is going to uplift the economy and make yeah. the workers happy, yada, yada. Pure and then there's the Keynesian bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> like, that Keynesian shit. That can't, don't, get, don't hit me with that Keynesian shit. Right? <laughs> and then there's the Orthodoxos, which is they're, they're like reformers. They're more. They're not communist, but they are heavily against government corruption. And yeah. their leader is this senator, Eduardo Chibas, who like commits suicide on radio in 51. It's a wild time, right? Okay. And so Fidel is a member of the Orthodoxos, or also known as the Cuban People's Party. And he's considering running for a seat in the Cuban Chamber of Deputies. You know, he's like a young guy, prominent lawyer. He's got, he's got a good mind, you know, good head on his shoulders. Yeah. And that can't happen, right? And uh, he's, his attempt is thwarted on uh, by a coup by wow. that guy that we mentioned before, Fulgencio Batista, in March of 1952. And so there are elections that are about to take place, and like Fidel's running, I think, in this election. And the Orthodoxos candidate, or I think it's a presidential election, the, the other guy that is expected to win. And he's like, oh, 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 can't have elections if I just launch a fucking coup right now. If Big there's dumb. no government, that's, that's you, can't ha- you can't have elections. Not, you know? not flawed logic, honestly. No, not, <laughs> not at all. Not at all. She just like ripped the rug out right from underneath you. You know, like not, it's not happening today, man. I've just changed the rules yeah. entirely. Look, hey, man, you can't, you can't eat my food if I stabbed you in your face. Nope. And that's just, that's a real, that's, that's just logic. It's, not, it's Yep. That's logic Batista was giving you on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, But it just kind of goes to show you, like, the U- United States, they recognize the new government immediately and start propping up Batista as well with, like, weapons and loans. And Fidel Castro, with this coup in place, and, and just, like, his childhood in general, he's like, oh, okay, looks like there's only one way to get things done around here. Yeah. Right? And so he starts organizing behind the scenes, right? And, you know, kind of gathering his his followers behind him and he's like, All right, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna launch our own coup. Yeah. Fuck this guy. Fuck this guy. So but, July this this go ahead. No, I was gonna say Batista, uh not a good guy. Not at, a good guy <laughs> at, at, all. at all. Yeah, no, he was uh, also also awful. Mad torture, mad things, mad death. Yep. <laughs> like, yep. like, no, there are some awful stories that yeah. we'll get to of him like killing children and leaving them in public squares, just hanging up on fucking poles and shit. Like, but the casinos were booming, and we're but also going to get to the casinos were doing great, you know. And the tour, the tour, American tourists were having a the, great were time. Having a great you know? time. So many, a, so many shorts <laughs> above the knees. It was. Yep. Mm-hmm, <laughs> so, mm-hmm. many, so many t-shirts were being the bought. cool, cool vacation dad shirts yeah. you know You're like dad i've never seen you wear a shirt like that i didn't know you were cool and yeah. he's like oh i'm getting back to my my party day yeah. in college you know we're gonna have one too many daiquiris whoa, yep. whoa, whoa, whoa. Ooh, or margaritas ooh. i don't know what they drink in cuba <laughs> a daiquiri daiquiri made with the with the banana that has that is <laughs> steeped in blood <laughs> soaked in a child's blood <laughs> so fidel's coup at least his attempt 
finally happens on July 26th of 53. It's the attack on the Moncada barracks in Santiago de Cuba. So it's organized by Fidel. It's like 150 guys, and they attack early in the morning while the soldiers are still asleep. And one of the things that I thought was kind of funny about it is that it's a it's an old over-the-counter revolution, basically. They bought, like, all their weapons legally because they would just get, like, a group of people to all go out and do the same thing, which is they would just go from store to store, right? You go to one store, and he'd be like, I would like one gun, please. Yeah. They'd sell him that gun, and then they would go to the next store and say, I would like one gun, please. And if you get 150 guys, or if you get if you get 50 guys to do this at three different locations, you have all of a sudden have arms for all of your men over the counter revolution kind of like one that could happen um you know somewhere else where gun laws are pretty uh pretty loose right huh look here man i don't look i'm an american you have to spell uh-huh. it out to me i don't know what you're saying <laughs> <laughs> i don't i don't get what you mean <laughs> that's fine it's all right it's, better, it's probably better that way <laughs> let's, let's not advocate a coup quite yet um anyway so they start a uh, target practice and like drilling just way out in the woods on like his dad's latifundio probably. And so the way this coup goes wrong is that they're all like following the lead car, right? And it gets through the barracks and the lead car notices these two scouts and they go over there to like chase down these scouts and kill them before they can sound the alarm. But all the other cars follow them, which pulls them away from like the barracks and the armory and everything. So they're unable to capture those objectives because they follow the lead car. And he basically like, you know, goes on a, on a goose goose hunt. Is this a reminder of anybody? Mm-hmm. Momar? Mm-hmm. Momar oh, and his, yep. and his car and his car, uh, this car snafus. Yeah. You never, never go for the, never go for the red herring or yeah. the never go on a goose chase, you know, focus on your, on your main objective. If you're trying to launch a coup out there. All right. That's my, <laughs> that's my advice. You know, it's going to happen. You're going to be tempted. Don't be, don't no, go for man. It. Look here. One thing, one thing you got to know about you guys, GPS, you got to have GPS <laughs> yeah, when you're doing you gotta, a revolution. You got to hit you. Yeah. Before you just get lost in the car. You just said, oh, "Is that the is that the car that we gotta follow? That's the that's the main guy. Like, what happens if you know some shit? He gets turned around or whatever. Now you've lost the main group. How many how many revolutions were 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 destroyed by dyslexia? Nobody ever talks about it. Nobody ever talks. Just couldn't about follow that. the directions, and they went and they just went yep. to a bar. And just yep. got and drunk. They were just, you know, it's already failed. I yeah. need a drink. My brothers are dying. I just need to take some of the take the edge off. You, you know? marry a woman. She's in a village, but you don't want to live out there. So you come to the nope. city. You have children. Yep. It's a lot. Yep. A lot of it's revolutions a, what are you <laughs> in that way. <laughs> so movement fails, but they like Fidel and his closest associates. They all become lionized, and the future movement of like you know liberating Cuba becomes known as M twenty six Movimiento. 26, you know, M26, you know, movement of the July, all that stuff. We get it. You took Spanish. Move on. Hell yeah, man. <laughs> Hell yeah. So October 16th of 1953, this is the trial of Fidel Castro where he gives his famous history will absolve me speech. And, you know, in it, he's like, he's denouncing Batista and being like, I was right for throwing this. You fucking suck. I've got my own agenda for Cuba. I'm going to, I'm going to redistribute all the land and you know i got my i got my own plans for this place you've not seen the last of me fuck you batista and he's sentenced to to 15 years in prison right That's but this a- speech gets some like <laughs> national acclaim like everybody yeah. now knows oh shit fidel castro is not a man to be trifled with right? and everybody definitely knows that he did it he did it <laughs> god damn it <laughs> it was, now, no, it was uh, a yeah. trial but it wasn't you know i mean somebody at the end of the trial was like fuck it yeah i sold it 
I did it. <laughs> yeah, and I killed the motherfucker. History's yeah, gonna just... absolve me, and you're gonna be like, yo. Yeah. Yeah, he did uh, that. I thought yeah. I was. <laughs> I'm just yeah, I got the other guy on the prosecution just like, all right, no further questions. No further God questions. damn, man. This that was amazing. That was really good. I Holy shit. See my kids tonight. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> just weeping into yeah. this meal. Like stirred by the beauty. All right. So while Fidel is in prison, because he, he doesn't serve the whole term, but while he's in prison, a bunch of shit happens around the world, right? Like you've got the the origins of third world consciousness. In May fifty four, you've got DNB and Fu over in Vietnam. Results, it's like a Vietnamese victory, which results in the withdrawal of the French, and they get replaced by U.S. It's, it's where it's where Americans went. Fucking French can't do it. We will. Fucking and French you can't, can't do yep, it. And, nope, you can't do it. You <laughs> overestimated yourself, guys. What are you doing? Very next month, there's a CIA-sponsored coup in Guatemala against Jacobo Arbenz, who wanted to do the same thing, off which of is the, redistribute the land. Off of the fucking bananas. Off of the fucking bananas, man. Again, it was United Fruit was like, hey, yo, Dulles Brothers, you think you can take care of this? And it was like, we got it. Don't worry about it. We're going to make it happen, right? Because you're fucking banana, man. So November of 54, same year, the, the Algerian War of Independence began. They're also rebelling against the French because people don't talk. France was France was everywhere. They were not, like, they try to be all fancy and shit, but it's like, you guys owned a lot of the world also no, and did they, a lot of awful, <laughs> awful things yeah, also. Yeah, no, France did a lot of awful things. You see it when you go to Paris. Uh-huh. When you go to Paris, you get off the. I, I took the train from London to Paris, and I got uh-huh. off. From, I got off in Paris, and I was at the train station, and I went, "Oh wow, there are a lot of black and brown people here. That's cool. I just didn't expect it. I love black yeah. and brown because I'm one of them. But yeah. I was just like, wait, I thought there'd be a lot more white. And then I was like, oh no, those those colonies oh, kind of no. backfired yeah. on these white people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like all yeah, of Paris is... is black and brown, and it's beautiful. <laughs> well, these are, these... Yeah, because <laughs> you blend. I blend. We all you could do. You, you I blend in. It was a good time, dog. But yeah, no, they there's a lot of Algerians, a lot of not a French Algerians. That's cool. That story and went nowhere. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. And then in April eighteenth to twenty fourth of fifty five, there's an Asian American conference in Bandung, Indonesia, and it's attended by all these prominent third world leaders and they kind of they kind of get this this idea that like, hey, as as underdeveloped nations, we need to stick together and help each other the fuck out, like solidarity. Yeah. And so on May 15th of 55, Fidel Castro, Raul Castro, and more of his followers are granted amnesty and released from prison just because the public was so on their side that wow. like they were pressuring the government like, hey, no, release these guys. They were wrongfully imprisoned. Get them out. You know? And so Batista's finally like, all right, fine, whatever. And this is, and this is just where people need to start reading their history. Because if they had read their history, they would have known um, about a good 35 years before, well, 25 years before this, not to compare these two people, but mm-hmm. the Germans had let out uh, just a little uh, guy. Another, who another wily, <laughs> another wily little guy, <laughs> not, you know, not, not comparing yep, not to the compare. two. No, 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 no. Not no, at no, all. No. But just read your history. Be like, yeah, man, if a dude does a coup, you guys yeah. just murder that dude. Yeah, don't. <laughs> like, <laughs> no second chances, no forgiveness. Mercy will kill you in politics. You know I mean? <laughs> so in July of that year, they go into exile in Mexico. So Raul goes first, and Raul meets this guy, you might have heard of him, Ernesto Che Guevara, yeah. right? And they're in Mexico City, and like he meets Fidel, and they're like they're best friends now, I guess. It's, a, it's a good thing he dropped the Ernesto 
from his name because yep. nobody thinks that's cool. Ernesto Ernie Ernie Che. You Ernie think Ernie? Che you think Ernie Guevara is gonna do anything yeah, for the no, revolution? Fuck no, you're gonna. Not. Nah, you. Well, he was a asthmatic revolutionary doctor. He was actually a doctor. Wow. And he he sought exile in Mexico after like firsthand witnessing the coup in Guatemala. And I read something that he was like talking to Arbenz and like advising Arbenz like, yo, you need to arm your supporters and just bust this war wide the fuck open. They're going to try to beto- beto- um, depose you. Yeah. You can't let that happen. Take a stand. And Jacobo Arbenz was like, I don't want to put my people through that. And then the coup happened. And yeah. then he was like, shit, I got to get out of here. Oh, guess and what? so he goes to Mexico City. Yeah, guess what? And your people w- went through it. And now, you know, they're still going through it. <laughs> yep, it's still, it's still happening uh, down there. Because the great American monster, it's still yep. fucking ravaging yeah, the huh? third mm-hmm. world through mm-hmm. the Monroe. Do- okay, I'm just yep. practicing for when I throw my coup. We're doing it. Yeah, it's we're gonna, gonna do it. You know, Sorry, this is, you, we've you, been radicalized. You know, if you if you support us on Patreon, you <laughs> can help pay for for arms uh, for the for the revolution. Oh, you know, that's what it's gonna, all about, right? Our coup is gonna be bloody. There will be purges, mm-hmm. and you will Mass all have purges. to read a book written yep. by me and Henry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I'd read that book. Hell yeah. So they they start training and drilling at Rancho Santa Rosa, which is southeast of Mexico City. And they start training because eventually, you know, Castro wants to take the revolution back to Cuba. And they fucking do. December 2nd of 56, they sail out from Tuxpan on this yacht called the Granma. And it lands on Los Cayuelos, which is like the southern coast of eastern Cuba, kind of near Manzanillo. And like this is where the revolution begins. However, like right when they land, most of their expedition is wiped out by Batista forces in like Allegra de Pio three days after after they land. And so they left with like 82 guys. Now they're down to about 12. And those 12 dudes, they're just like, fuck, we need to we need to find cover. And so they go up into the mountains of the Sierra Maestra and start waging this covert guerrilla war and just trying to capture as many objectives that they can, like, you know, the towns and the barracks around the Sierra Maestra area, right? Some of the cooler things that they do is while they're there, they, they like, grow out their beards. Yeah. They do so because they, they don't have any shaving equipment, but also you can prevent your ranks from being infiltrated by growing out your beards because clearly if you're clean shaven or you don't have a full beard, you're not part of the revolution. You're not with us. You've shaved. Like, what the fuck are you? And that's, what, that's why I haven't shaved in a while, you know? I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to show show my solidarity with that's the That's what I'm saying. The, that's what, what our, with the proletariat. do our revolution, we're mm-hmm. going to go out to the bayous mm-hmm. and just and yep. that's where we're going to ferment our Age. revolution yep it's going to be called tunnels the tunnels yeah. underneath houston take over the tunnels the launch tunnels. a covert guerrilla war throughout the city huh you never know where we're going to pop okay, up actually i don't think we should go to the tunnels just because uh i work downtown and houston is just yep. an oil company mecca so i'm pretty sure <laughs> there's been like some coup d'etats launched from the tunnels just okay. in other countries. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm okay. pretty sure. Just a, discussing the shady shit down a in the A lunch in the tunnel led to somebody yep. dying. Okay. Else. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get me started on those infamous tunnel luncheons, you know? Yeah, it's, man. Uh, like, dude's real, real backbone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the little, next to little hot dog stand yeah. discussing how they're going to take over the world. Dude, just fucking... <laughs> 
did you say witch witch? Just like, yeah, we really should take over <laughs> Libya. <laughs> wait, wait, what? I just, <laughs> I just don't see how there's any possibility of things working with the new regime. Yeah, you know? like, we you need know to mean? put some of our guys. Maybe in we there. put some money behind it to, you know, to, you know, to our, 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 hey, our man, security are, are you, firm. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, are you gonna, are you gonna eat all that mayo? Are you yeah. gonna eat the rest of those fries? Can no, I, you no might pickles on my witch witch, bro. I no told pickles you. on my witch witch. <laughs> So their army gradually grows. It kind of snowballs. And they start, like, they get massive amounts of support. Just people, like, going in the mountains, like, hey, I want to be part of what you guys like, what you guys doing. Let me get in on it. Get in on the ground floor. And they get enough people to where they're, they're able to start organizing and sending other columns under his top guys, like, you know, Raul and Che, Juan Almeida, and Camilo Cienfuegos. This is... And okay, go ahead. They start like sending columns into other mountainous regions across Cuba in order to open up another front and like widen the the revolution. And this is in rural Cuba again. You yep. gotta go back to those dynamics of this is yep. plantation places. And if yep. you're talking about a communist or a Marxist doctrine, this is where you know what I mean it yep. can apply a lot of places. The Marxism is very flexible. It can apply to a lot of the situations in capitalist societies. Um, but like here, oh my God. Like you, yeah. <laughs> like you're talking about the peasants. I'm a peasant. What the fuck? Yep. Let's go yep. up in the mountains. Like, yeah, like, we should. We should. Told all of us peasants should get together. There's more yeah. of us than there is of this rich fuck that none of us have ever actually met. Yeah, you know I mean, we should. We work this land. We should own it. We what should the fuck is land. he doing? Yeah. He How does he wait? To wait? So wait? This has been passed down to his family. Fuck his family. <laughs> like, like, wait. Wait. You telling me this guy doesn't even live? He lives yeah. in fucking Grand Rapids. Yeah. Where the where the fuck is Grand Rapids? Yeah. Exactly. He's not. He's not here. This is our land. It's he's not, not even here. What the fuck? Like this is bullshit. Michigan. Really? You know what I mean? Like, come on. <laughs> Fuck that. Fuck that. This is ours. And the revolution succeeds. And it is it is very bloody. And like what we were yeah. talking about, it's like Batista's trying ruthlessly to suppress it. And this is where you get like dead children in public squares to where yeah. he would like send people into into towns and shit and be like, if you don't fucking tell me where Movimiento 26 is, I'm going to fucking kill your kids. And they're like, we sincerely have no idea where he is and then he'll like kill a child and string it up and just let you know like hey if you if you if you are with them I will kill you like brutally and you know send a message to other people and here's the thing um, one thing I've learned from Narcos is that I like anything in Spanish so yeah. if Nar if Netflix decides to make this in Spanish like this a this story in oh my god I'd watch it yeah. I'd watch um, that. But also, you, uh, you have to cut us in. We're going to write that shit, actually. Yeah, no, so we'll write nobody, it. Nobody else, nobody oh, else yeah, touch that one. I shouldn't that's, be giving no, 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 out my ideas. That's ours. The world might that's end. ours. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> so January 1st of 59, you know, Batista leaves. He's like, fuck it. The rebels have won. And then in February, Fidel is made prime minister. And some of the first things that he does in May, he signs an Agrarian Reform Act. Act, which sets a cap on how much land a person could own, and forbades foreigners from from owning land. Like, f I'm sorry, Grand Rapids dude, yeah. you're out of here, right? Exactly. And another thing, he cuts rent by 50% for lower wage earners. Okay. He nationalizes the telephone industry and U.S. owned refineries, okay. and he closes down all these casinos and nightclubs owned by the American mob and the Jewish mafia, which really pisses them off. And then he also undertakes a literacy campaign and prioritizes training new doctors. Those are all good things. Yeah. So the bad things that he did is he imprisoned writers and artists who badmouthed the government and imprisoned homosexuals in an effort to, quote-unquote, re-educate them and okay. get them on the, on the straight and narrow. Okay. Well, 
bad and good. We gave it both yeah. to you. So you, you can it. shut yep. the fuck up, guys. Yep. Yep. You can shut we the fuck up, both. our communist right. friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's all in the record. All right. We gave them we gave the bo- both of them to you. And okay? weirdly there they, there they are. And weirdly capitalist Cubans. You guys mm-hmm. can we do, we're giving you the bad and the good. All right. Yep, it's all there. It's all there. You have a problem with this man, not with us. Remember that. Okay. Nineteen fifty nine to nineteen sixty Eisenhower and Alan Dulles, who's like the, I think he's like the leader of the CIA, or the deputy director, or the director of Central, director of Central Intelligence, DCI. They immediately start plotting Castro's overthrow and assassination, and they're working in close coordination with the mafia. There's this guy Johnny Rosselli, who was their main main contact in the mafia, as far as like, hey, let's fucking kill Castro, man, let's make it happen. So the Italian and the Jewish mafia are way upset at Castro over having their casinos and brothels shut down. And so all these like and and then also like just the Cuban middle class is super worried about what cat what else Castro is going to do. And so they start fleeing and they arrive in Miami and Miami becomes like the epicenter of anti-Castro raids and just anti-Castro activity. Basically, you get like all these gangs over there, like anti anti-Castro gangs and they're like you know they have their mob contacts and all sorts of all sorts of weird shit because you can all right you can compare um Batista in the way he was in the way he kind of operated to kind of uh, a little bit to Trump like honestly you're doing bad under Trump you're doing very badly yeah (laughs) like and it's not a good time and you feel oppressed it's a lot but if you're doing like decent under Batista you know what I mean like yeah. you're doing like it's all right. It's all right. It's a lot of, you know what I mean? I got a bar. People are coming through. Mm-hmm. Like it's all right. I'm, you know, yeah, I'm doing okay. And that's who's leaving. Yeah, that's who leaves. <laughs> In February of 1960, Castro meets with Soviet diplomat Anastas Mikoyan. Yeah. And they sign a trade deal for like a hundred million dollars, which is a, as a trade credit, and then like a sugar for oil exchange deal, and then Cuban sugar because it's like large, it's like their main crop. Mm-hmm. They find new markets in Eastern Europe, and it's able to start kind of like giving buoyancy to the Cuban economy and lifting it up. And the same same month, February, uh, mercenary pilots hired by the CIA drop bombs on Cuban sugar mills. Wow! Like, oh, you you found all those new hot markets, huh? For that sugar, huh? Let's see. Let's see how uh, how your production bounces back from this one. And then in September 18th of 1960, Fidel Castro arrives in New York City for a meeting of the UN, and he gets there. And you know, word is spread about this guy, and the CIA has been doing their thing behind the scenes. So most hotels blacklist Castro. So he stays at the Hotel Teresa in Harlem. And up there, he meets with with other leaders such as Nikita Khrushchev and Malcolm X. Malcolm X is actually the guy who gets them the Hotel Teresa. Wow. And the CIA, they hear that Castro is meeting with Malcolm X, and their their thought is basically like, "Oh, so now we have to kill both of them." Okay, yeah, that is how the CIA thinks. We can't let this happen. Fuck that. We they're both dead. Like, yeah, they're they're, they're on our they're on our naughty list. You see, know, the CIA loves discount killings. Like the more by the bulk, like they're a Sam's Club for. Like yeah, the there you go. There you <laughs> like, go. You get a you get a two for one. You know, we gotta we gotta get them both right. If we could just blow up that one room right now, that would I mean? be that would yeah. be great. You know, just shoot a fucking rocket launcher. We have no oversight. Nobody yeah. gives a fuck what we do right now. Just fucking RPG the hotel room. Just lot. blow up yeah. the hotel. It's no, fine. Let's, it's uh, fine. Here's the thing. 
Oh man, then we had a CIA conversation. We'll be here for three hours. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah, another bad, <laughs> bad dudes. So September 26, uh, Castro at the UN, he supposedly sets a Guinness World Record. I don't know if it's still standing. I hope it's still standing for the longest speech ever given by the world leader at the UN. It's set at four hours and 29 minutes, and you know he's just he's just doing him, just flexing those Marxist creds and lambasting neocolonialism and the the tyrannical regime of the United States that exploits third world nations and you know gets them all into these into these development contracts with exorbitantly high interest rates so they can leech and leech and leech I and just, suck the blood out of out of these developing nations and kill our women and children and man eh, you know you know how it goes no i just i literally uh i <laughs> I know he had like a production assistant with him who was just like, uh-huh. but if we could just trim like fucking <laughs> half an hour off this, I'll, no, like it's four hours and twenty. Dude, I mean, look four here. Hours and tw- but you're gonna lose the purpose. You're, yep. The crux of the shit is three hours in. <laughs> it's three hours in. And then he had to bring yep. up that old statistic. The yep. human humans can only listen to something for an hour and thirty minutes. And then you start to lose them. You're losing. You're not even talking about Cuba by an hour and thirty minutes Mm-mm. in. Nope, you haven't even nope. gotten to Cuba. You're just you're just decrying the United States at this. But you if you you do that 26 separate times in the speech, man. I think if you just do it, if you just lump all those parts together into one paragraph, then you can really say what you want to say and not and not lose anybody. What but, the fuck is this metaphor about your father doing here? What do you What do you do? What are you talking about the relationship with your father? And we, I was like, we don't need his his Patrick Stewart looking ass yeah. in this goddamn speech. What is all this? right, get him out of here. What are I you doing, man? It's just a lot. It's just he's just like I told him not to do it. He's just like drinking no, I, at a bar. Yeah, I, I like to think that he was like, no, no, no. You, you know, it's a lot of good points. I'm not. I'm not going to do it. You know, I'll probably I'll be up for it for two hours max. All right, just give me the light when I'm at two hours. I'd, I'll I'll wrap it up, and then he just goes up there and he's like, I fucking do what I want. Man. Yeah, man. I'm Fidel Castro. Nobody fucking tells me what to do, and then just eh, that PA four just, and a half hours. PA just at a bar in Manhattan after smoking a cigarette, just like so. I tell them, <laughs> I say, I say it's four hours and twenty nine minutes long, and they're like, and every all the other PAs are like, are like, uh, yeah, man, bro, we, we yeah, we, we don't it. speak Spanish. <laughs> yeah, and they're like, no, 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 I don't, I don't care if you don't speak Spanish. I told him four hours and twenty nine minutes, too long. He says. Okay, this mother. <laughs> <laughs> so he gets back in, you know, right like in September, October, he gets back. And shortly after that, November of 1960, there's a beginning of another super shady CIA operation called Operation Peter Pan. Correctly, orga- uh, correctly, just call that a CIA operation. No, no, I didn't. No, uh, no need to call it shady. You don't need to specify. They're all, they're all shady. Yeah, I think it's even shadier that they use like Peter Pan as the name, like a children's tale. But th- this is, this is why. It was organized by Father Brian O. Walsh and this guy Tracy Voorhees, who's no, like the president's. <laughs> I know, I know. The president's personal representative for Cuban refugees and James Bake- Baker, who's headmaster of an American school in Havana. And they hear that some Cuban students would be eligible for a, a certain scholarship where the reward would be able to study in the USSR. And they're like, oh, fuck no. And so Baker, the headmaster of the school, would get passports from the U.S. Embassy. And who knows, like CIA was probably just fucking printing those bitches out, just forging them as, as much as they could. And they would issue them to, quote unquote, eligible students who were sent like not only to Miami but like across the United States without their parents. I think the the figure was something between like 10,000 and 14,000 Cuban children uh, legally abducted and and taken from Cuba and sent sent to the United States. Operation Peter Pan. <laughs> 
Um, and, and, and if this series is going to teach us one thing, and we're really going to talk about one thing, is that the CIA is is I, I'm I'm trying to think of the best way to describe this is a bunch of fucking people just making shit up as they <laughs> fucking go. It yeah. is absurd what these people do. Got you away read, with, yeah. They do got away with probably still get away. Okay, if you want to. If you want to kind of understand better the Cold War and understand the way the CIA versus the KGB they operated, I, 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 I there's, there's, uh, when you talk about the KGB, it, it seems like more diligent. It seems like it's very communist. They would get all your friends would become K, KGB uh-huh. uh, like agents. They'd have like they would set up multiple ways in. They would have everybody informing on each other. The KGB uh-huh. was like yeah. the way they spied was like it seemed it was very like oh okay. Um, like it was, it was very well thought. The Americans would be the best way. You think the, the show The Americans on I FX? No, watch that show. It's like they're gonna fucking oh, they need this plant serum. They're gonna fucking find three ways in. They're gonna become this woman's lover for five years and then get yeah. her to steal the serum. Oh yeah, and then yeah. that's the way the KGB operated. The way the CIA operated was like the movie. What's that movie? Algo with with Ben Affleck or whatever that shit Far, is. Uh, it's not Fargo. That's not it's Algo. It's some it's some Al- movie where fucking yeah. the the CIA is like, yo, we got people left in Iran. So what, what's our plan to get them out? Well, we're gonna pose as movie producers. We're gonna shoot a movie, and it's like Woo! Star Wars. And we're uh-huh. just gonna say we're trying to get film direction. And it's like we're we're Canadian movie production crew. What the fuck <laughs> do you mean a Canadian movie production crew? And they got the people out with that ruse. That's the type of shit the CIA does. I, th- I thought it failed. <laughs> no, it, 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 no, it worked. It, it worked. Oh shit! And it's right. a, that's a real thing. That's the CIA. I just they just brought it to Carter, and Carter's like, yeah, I like it. Yeah, Good no, job, no man. I only yeah, think they brought awesome, it to Carter. That's the issue. It. Yeah, yeah, no. They, <laughs> so the other thing about the CIA is that Truman originally drew up the plans for it, but it really started hitting its stride under Eisenhower. Yeah. And you know the central central players in like the development of the CIA are the Dulles brothers. You got John Foster Dulles, who is Eisenhower's secretary of state. And then his brother is the DCI, Alan, Alan Walsh Dulles of, you know, and he's like responsible for all the, all the day to day operations of the CIA, like the coup in Guatemala, coup in Iran, MK ultra, all this shady shit. And so you've got that direct connection of like brother to brother to where it's like, okay, I oversee this, this arm of the executive and you basically are the executive and they've got mad corporate connections. Yeah. So it almost more seems like the CIA is like the, uh, I don't want to say corporate America's the arm of corporate America, yeah. but you, you look at what they did and it's like, okay, yeah, you guys are, are fucking mercenaries with a rubber stamp. Well, that's, I mean, let's get off the CIA thing before we, before we dive before too we far get, into get it. Too deep. But I will say yeah. this last thing. It, yeah. The, they are the, the arm tied in with a lot of corporate interests because what's seen as good for America the may or not may or may not is, be. I don't is think good it is. for the one percent. Is is good for corporate? Is good for capitalism. Capitalism is yeah. good for America. I.e., yeah. 
uh, corporations need to expand. So, and they need to constantly find new markets. The American businesses need to be first into new arenas with new resources. So, (laughs) so, you know, uh, yeah, man, that's, that's what's good for America. So, so Guatemala, are you, are you, are you even an American if you don't support this initiative? Yeah, so Guatemalan's bananas aren't really their bananas. I don't even know nope. if they have bananas, but I think they have bananas. Yeah, uh, yeah <laughs> Their bananas so, yeah. aren't their bananas. There are bananas. Mm-mm. There are bananas. <laughs> and it's like, uh, are, you, are you with us or are you against us, guys? Uh, what are you saying? And it's like, why you got to set up a false dichotomy? What yeah. are you doing? There's another way to do this. So another CIA operation. We're going to get into the last two big famous things in Cuba. These are the ones you, everyone's heard about. April 17th of 1961, you've got the Bay of Pigs, or Playa Hidon, as it's known in Cuba. And this takes place in the southern coast of West Cuba. So there's roughly 1,400 CIA-trained Cuban exiles land with the intent of overthrowing Castro. And it's the brainchild of Alan Dulles, signed off by Eisenhower, but Eisenhower gets out of power, and Kennedy doesn't want to seem soft on communism. So he's like, all right, I guess we can do this. Maybe led by George Bush Sr., also a thing. Mm. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, because like, he got his start in yeah, the CIA. He's a CIA. He was like a CIA guy. He, no, yeah. he, he, he's not a start CIA. He is a CIA guy. That's a different. Again, we got to get yeah. away from the CIA shit. And and now <laughs> and then he was an American president. Yeah. Like it's, uh, it's, it's shady as fuck, right? And so Kennedy's like, all right, we can do this. I don't think it's going to work. And then it, it doesn't. So part of the reason it doesn't is because Kennedy doesn't authorize these airstrikes that the, you know, like the, the exiles that they've trained are like, you know, backed up and and it's clear that it's failing. And then Dulles is like, Hey man, how about some airstrikes? How about you just bomb those bitches so we can support, support our men. And he's like, no, this is going to widen the war and directly implicate the United States. And the, the whole rationale is that the Warhawks thought that even if it failed, Kennedy would be would be so focused on saving face that he would authorize an all-out invasion. He just wouldn't he wouldn't take the fa- he wouldn't accept failure and he would be forced to launch a, 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 a larger invasion and like widen the war even more. So we don't give a fuck if this fails. Yeah. We don't give a shit if it's poorly planned. It's going to we're going to invade Cuba anyway. Let's just throw this out there to get the war started. What the hell, you know? And uh it <laughs> It is a weird thing if you really want to start looking into like the military industrial complex and all this stuff around this time. Those people like the CIA, the generals, they're already like we're going to war with Russia. Yeah, that's their posture. It's going to happen. This is the future. It's going to happen. Let's they're they're almost they're almost at like, let's strike first just so we can just get it going. Yeah, so we can get it over with. So so rip off that bandaid. There's a reason for their aggression. Yeah. So, end result is that 1,200 of these exiles are taken prisoner, and they're actually traded for, like, medicine and the food stuff from the United States. But there's an interesting anecdote that, like, the U.S. lawyer is a guy, James Donovan, when he's sent to negotiate for the release of these exiles, the CIA gives, uh, gives Castro, or they give James Donovan this, like, spore-laced wetsuit with, like, all these different bacterias that would be designed if he puts it on to get him sick because Castro was a big, like, water sports guy. Yeah. And so James Donovan shows up at the negotiations for the hostages, and he's like, hey, man, uh, we brought you this wetsuit as a gift. And Castro's like, fuck no, I'm not putting that thing on. I am not. I don't want that. Or he probably like took it, but then it was like burn that shit. <laughs> they they want me dead so bad. 
That's so that's that's I, I I literally think that's like showing up somebody's house like, hey man, I know you get I know you fucking fuck pussy. Here's a condom. <laughs> Yo, don't what? It's like what are you doing, man? Oh, thanks. You know I don't know who told you I like water sports so much. In fact, it's pretty unnerving that you already know that about me, and now you're giving me a wetsuit. Like yeah, I, I think the wetsuit was just a condom. They were that's what they were trying to say. Yo, yeah, here's a nice little condom. And now you like water sports. <laughs> If you're trying to fuck with the U.S., huh? You're gonna need you're gonna need this. So just to mention, they're gonna come in later. They're these two guys, Arnaldo Ochoa and Jose Abrantes, are two like key generals who are instrumental in repelling the invasion. Arnaldo Ochoa and Jose Abrantes. We're gonna talk about them more in the in the second part. And the last major event that takes place in in Cuba. In October 23rd to the 28th of 62, there is the Cuban Missile Crisis, yeah. or the October Crisis. And, you, you know, you get the gist, is that basically throughout the summer, Nikita Khrushchev supplies Cuba with ballistic missiles and a bunch of other military equipment. And then, like, a U-2 plane flies over Cuba and sees that they have these ballistic missiles, and it's like, whoa, holy shit, that's not okay. They could nuke the fuck out of us right now mm-hmm. uh we, we like red alert red alert holy fuck we need to resolve this and so the united states in response they like first they quarantine cuba and then they station 1200 or i'm sorry 125,000 troops yeah. in miami cuz they're prepared for to launch for an all out invasion and there's actually one plane that gets shot down there's like a us spy plane that gets shot down on the 27 there's this guy, Rudolf Anderson, who's like might be the only casualty of the Cuban Missile Crisis. And Castro claims that the like the, you know, the missile system that shot them down was Soviet operated. That may or may not be true. They yeah. might have shot it down themselves. Who the fuck knows? So Castro's whole bone of contention with the Cuban Missile Crisis is that negotiations take place almost exclusively between Nikita Khrushchev and JFK. Yeah. And at the end, end result is that Nikita Khrushchev agrees to withdraw missiles from Cuba if JFK agrees not to invade Cuba and to withdraw missiles that the United States had stationed in, in Turkey because Turkey's pretty close to Russia and so we can kind of neutralize this threat if we just, you know, quid pro quo, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the most interesting things about the Cuban Missile Crisis, where Castro comes in, confidentially to Nikita Khrushchev, Castro suggests that if the U.S. were to invade Cuba within the coming days, the USSR could not allow the U.S. to initiate a first nuclear strike, implying that they should strike first. To where the, the yeah. wording of this letter is very is very tricky, but the the idea that he's saying like you cannot allow them to launch a nuclear weapon first, the implication is very clear. You should fire first. Well, you should nuke the United States. Well, that was that was the whole... That was the wholesale, like, uh, the CIA and all, like, the, the generals and stuff. Their whole idea was that uh, the U.S. had to fire first because if we fire mm-hmm. first, we could maybe wipe a 80% of them out. And then yeah. they got some nukes off, and then maybe we wouldn't have Cleveland. And I mean, did we nearly need Cleveland? Did we need like, it? We're okay. <laughs> like, yeah. And then you get like ABMs in place later yeah. that can just neutralize the bomb before it even hits the city. And it's like, ah, should we even should we even press the red button, or yeah. should we press the red button because there's this whole psychology yeah. of of the Cold War of of nukes and their d- b- destructive potential and whether or not they should ever be fired or ever unleashed. And it's like they ah. shouldn't. <laughs> They shouldn't. <laughs> they shouldn't. They shouldn't. But 
but like that th- this is like we know that now but back then there's this novel idea of like should the cold war become hot yeah is there a way is there a post cold war like what the hell you know and I, and it's weird that people would say that when they had bombs more 100 100 times more powerful than the one that was dropped on Nakasagi or Hiroshima. Yeah, now, and oh, they, fuck yeah. They're, and they yeah. saw what happened to that, and they're just like, uh-huh. we can kind of, we can kind of. Yeah, we, we can do it again. We can, you know, we, can, we can do it again. <laughs> it was pretty cool. Hey, man, it was pretty cool, wasn't it, though? You see that thing? Wow, that was awesome, right? And he kind of backs off in a later letter with Nikita Khrushchev. He kind of, he chalks up the insinuation like, oh, maybe it was a mistranslation. Maybe it was a misreading or a misunderstanding of my intent. Or maybe Castro was just covering his tracks, you know? Yeah. And so end result is you get Castro. He's concerned about Cuba's image, especially in the wake of this. He never, he like was hesitant to accept the missiles because he didn't want to seem like a Soviet base or a satellite, especially to yeah. other Latin American countries. And the fact that he's cut out of negotiations, this is insulting, right? Yeah. Like, you cut me out completely. What the fuck? I could have got some consolations from the United States. No more U-2 flights. Something along those lines. Like, yeah. what the... F- you're, you're, you're... What the fuck? You're, you're a dick. Yeah. And so he's determined to act more autonomously. Prove to Latin America that he's not just a puppet of the Soviets. That he is his own man with his own agenda and his own idea about what the world should look like. Oh, wow. I guess in the I guess in part two, we'll see what that agenda entailed. We're gonna see what that looks like. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. That was us leaving a cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Pretty tasty. Pretty tasty, right? All Keeping right. you on the edge. Keeping huh? you on the edge. You're on a cliff right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, thank you guys for listening to part one. Um, it's been fun. I'm, I'm excited mm-hmm. for one of the, how this how this one is gonna end. Uh, in our overview of, of Fidel, um, Henry, give them your social media. You can find me at Henry E. Price uh, on Instagram and Twitter. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, fine. You know, you know. Just, just search that. <laughs> whatever, <laughs> wherever. <laughs> you can find me, uh, Joshua B. Stokes on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, Joshua Stokes on Facebook. Add me. I don't care, bro. Um, Hard Fried History on Instagram. Hard Fried History mm-hmm. on Facebook or HFH mm-hmm. Podcast on Twitter. Oh man, we're everywhere that you want to be and everywhere you don't want to be. It's weird with mm-hmm. us. Um, mm-hmm. Thank you guys for listening. Subscribe. Give us follows on all those social media. Mm-hmm. Leave reviews. Comment on our stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. Thank you guys for listening. And we and hope you tell tell a friend. Tell a you friend know, if you enjoyed this. If you've always yeah. if you know you were talking about Castro with a buddy, let them shoot them our way. You know. Tell a friend. Have a fun time, and we'll see you next time on the right. part two of Fidel Castro.